The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Councillor Liam Quaid, good to speak with you again. We've been in touch with you regularly since this story broke during the summer. What is the situation with regard to an independent structural engineer? Because to the layperson, Liam, it's a little confusing. Yeah, so um, back in October 8, a family member of a resident of the Onacora Centre wrote to Michael Fitzgerald, the Chief Officer of the HSC, um, asking if, they wrote on behalf of three families, including their own, asking if they could appoint an independent structural engineer to assess the feasibility of renovations on the Onacora Centre. Um, and the reason for this was that we had been told by the HSC's own maintenance department <clears throat> that it was um, basically impossible to carry out necessary works on the premises. Mm. Um, and that, that claim was made in two internal reports from 2021, uh, one of which was unda- unda- undated. Um, so it, it wasn't clear actually from these reports what new building survey, if any, yeah. had been carried out to arrive at this very drastic conclusion. To quote what the HSC said to us in two separate statements across summer and autumn, they said that they had discovered the problems with Onokura were worse than they feared and that it was beyond, effectively beyond saving. The, the request was to have that independently assessed. Yeah, because prior to, prior to um, those claims being made by the HSE's own maintenance department, there had been separate independent reports carried out um, in, in the previous years and these looked at um, works on improving fire, fire safety and removing asbestos and some other works and these reports set out the works that needed to be done. They, they, they didn't claim that the works were impossible to carry out and um, this I suppose left us with quite a bit of uncertainty um, about the whole issue. So during the Eroctus Mental Health Committee meeting that we had on September 21st when HSE management were questioned by um, a group of TDs and senators, uh, Green Party TD Nasa Horrigan questioned Michael Fitzgerald, the chief, chief officer, about this, um, and he, he couldn't answer her. You know what the building survey has has um, arrived at that conclusion. She also asked him several other questions about the premises that he couldn't answer, um, and he couldn't. He committed to following those up with her after the meeting. Um, NASA's assistant reminded um, the HSC of, of the need to follow these up, and she received no answers to these questions. Mm. And for just for the purpose of reminding listeners, Deputy Harrigan is also an architect. That's right. So I suppose she was able to come come at this from a more informed perspective than the rest of us. Um, so considerable efforts had to be made to obtain further information, including quotations and drawings for renovations of Onakura, which kind of strangely had been excluded from previous building reports sent to us. Um, NASA was told many weeks after requesting these reports, um, and reports on St. Stephen's Hospital, because she wanted to compare her facilities. Um, she was told that finding the, all of these reports was too onerous a task, so she ended up having to refer those requests to the Public Accounts Committee. But I, I, I think something that has really struck many people is that the, um, the request for a structural engineer that was put in uh, on October 8th by a family member was not actually responded to until five weeks later. Um, and this, in my view, is part of a broader pattern of, of running down the clock on the closure process and wearing down the resolve of families who are trying to resist the closure. Yeah. Liam, what was the nature of the response received? 
the, the response essentially says that um, due to the particular um, service needs of, of the, the residents that an independent structural engineer wouldn't be able to um, to properly assess um, what was needed to be carried out and like this is an absurd um, an, an absurd statement and, and I think the, the, the broader pattern that, that it fits into is um, timing the, the closure announcements just before this all went into an eight-week summer break. So there was very limited opportunity for a very long period there to scrutinise the decision. Um, there's been a withholding of key information uh, that was requested by public reps about the closure rationale, and that's not just Vanessa Horrigan who experienced that, but um, Sinn Féin councillor Daniel Toomey. Um, and what Danielle followed up was was very pertinent because one of the answers we got back to a parliamentary question gave a, a reason for not pursuing renovations um, w was that they, they would have great difficulty enlarging the size of single bedrooms. Um, but, but then... And making them en suite, I think, was also a problem. I, I, exactly, exactly, making them en suite. But we know that in, in several of the alternative facilities... Um, not only are, are single rooms quite rare, but they're like, for instance, in St. Stephen's Hospital, there's a ward that has two uh, two rooms in in which there are six residents in each room. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so that's the, I suppose that that's 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 a huge change in terms of privacy and personal space. Yeah. And fair enough if you can't if you have difficulties um, improving the size of rooms in Onakura, but what are we comparing it to? Um, and if, if you're talking about facilities that will involve a much reduced quality of life in many ways, it, it really kind of debunks the whole argument. Yeah. Now, the original closure date uh, was the end of October. That has come and gone. I don't mm. think, correct me if I'm wrong here, nobody's been moved out yet. Everybody's still there. My understanding is, is that one resident has moved um I, as far as I'm aware, there are 18 residents still there. Right. Um, and I think what really needs to be emphasised is that that hasn't been any source of relief for families because that has only come about because management have, have been struggling to source placements because they're under such scrutiny now. Yeah. Um, and it, it, what it has actually done is it's plunged families into a much more distressing state of uncertainty. Yeah. Because for any, if, if any of us were to hear that we were about to lose our homes at some point, um, you know, and if we if we had a fixed point, say you're going to have to move out of your your long-standing home in in three or six months, mm. that would be devastating. But if if you're if you're told you're going to have to move out, and they've they've doubled down on the, on the closure decision, but you're then left in this prolonged limbo as to when that might happen. And if you add in the fact that these are people who have struggled for much most of, of their lives with very severe mental health difficulties. Yeah. To put it very bluntly, you're not helping them. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think, you know, something that I've been trying to um, impress upon people in government and something that I've been, a message that I've been trying to put out in, in recent weeks is that the community here in East Cork, and this was expressed very strongly at our public protest some weeks ago, feel really abandoned uh, by government and feel that government haven't shown any moral authority um, in, in intervening here. There's been so many unanswered questions about this closure. Um, families have, and, and public reps have been misled throughout the summer 
um, with repeated briefings, and these were briefings that were given to yourselves as well, um, talking about extensive consultation that was happening with, with families, and, and we know that that wasn't happening. Yeah. Liam, I'll leave it there for now, and I'll go to speak with Mary, and we'll talk again. Thank you. Thanks, PJ. Mary, you were one of the family members who wrote looking for this independent survey to be done, and you weren't happy at all with the response you got. Well, we got a, um, a response after five weeks of waiting in the first instance um, to say basically that the HSC management were not agreeable to appointing someone. Um, they made um, comments like um, they had a specialist knowledge and um, no one else would, would be able to um, offer the same level of um, assessment. So I, I, I thought a lot about that, actually, and I, I find it almost brings a smile of, of despair to my face, actually, um, that if they had this level of skill, how, how do we find ourselves in this situation in the first instance with all this expertise and knowledge and insight and um, skill that we find that the, bu- the building is not fit for purpose? This isn't something that's just happened um, in the last year or two. This is a symptom um, of significant neglect over many years and um we find ourselves, um, the residents find themselves um, being made homeless because of this. So I, I think um, to say that they um, don't want anyone else to look at it now is is almost, you know, laughable, really. Um, I don't know what they're afraid of. Liam Quaid, who I've just spoken to, he himself, of course, is a psychologist, and, and, and he said one of the really important things dealing with people with mental health issues is certainty that you have to be able to give them some level of certainty now the closure date the original closure date has come and gone and it's fair to say i think mary nobody has a clue now what's happening that's correct and 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 we're living in this heightened state of anxiety actually it's worse now because we um we don't know um what's in the mind of the HSC are they just going to come along and disperse residents we we haven't had any recent communication from anybody apart from the letter just rejecting our request for um, uh, the structural engineer to be appointed so we just don't know what is in their mind Um, we do know that there is um, a, a national housing crisis so looking for accommodation in Middleton um, in, as an interim measure you, you know if they were to even try and um, rebuild or refurbish even that is going to be a challenge but we've had no conversation anything at all anything about um, how, to, how to go forward so we're, we're really um, between a rock and a hard place with this we just find ourselves really stressed and um, just not knowing where to turn. And we need, we actually need our politicians to come out publicly about this. They're working behind the scenes, um, and I, I believe they are. They're doing their best. But there's something about all of this kind of secrecy and this way of doing things behind the scenes that really is undermining um, our confidence about um, the HSE and indeed, um, you know, the... the um, 
the, 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 the political system that we're, we're just left in these kind of vacuums and it's really, really, really difficult. You were with me uh, a while back, Mary, when I had the privilege of meeting a number of the residents down there uh, one evening and I found a level of distress down there talking to these people. That cannot have got any easier and I'm sure it must be getting worse. I think it is, PJ, because um, it, we're almost afraid to mention it at this stage, you know, what is happening, because it, it opens up another um, uh, level of anxiety for people. So so it's almost the elephant in the room, you know, when we do our visits or when we um, go out and about and um, occasionally I'd say, look, you know, did you hear anything this week? And if there is... If there's no answer to that, um, we we don't even try to have a conversation because it is so unsettling. And in terms of your own relation, who is uh, a resident there? How are they feeling? Very, very, very unsettled, really unsettled about it. And um, some of the residents have moved already and that has been really upsetting for, for her. And these are people she's known for years and years and um, trying to maintain, you know, phone contact or even, you know, a contact even no, we can't even um, imagine just how difficult that is. It's just really, um, it, it, it's it's just from the, from September, from last September to now, it's just been such, such a horrible time um, for her and for um, her fellow residents. Mary, thank you as always for speaking with me today. Thank you. Quartz 96 FM. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter than air feel and barely there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the super light tree runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.